Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you've been having trouble keeping track of time, kind of feels like every day just blends in with all the others lately. We've just lost a lot of the markers we used to rely on. You know that. Days feel like months. Months feel like an eternity. That's probably what makes Hulu's Palm Springs the perfect movie for this time. It's a film about two people who are forced to repeat the same day. The film stars Andy Samberg as Niles and our guest this week, Kristen Milioti as Sarah. Palm Springs is a romantic comedy, and it's a movie about a time loop, not unlike Groundhog Day or Russian Doll. It's a movie that's almost self-aware. Yeah, Niall says, it's one of those time loop situations. But Palm Springs is more than just a clever premise. It's a funny and unique film about relationships, about depression, about, well, honestly, about what it means to be alive. Linda Holmes, the host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, talked with Kristen Milioti recently about the complex portrayal of Sarah in Palm Springs. Also, as you'll hear about her roles on shows like How I Met Your Mother, 30 Rock, and the Tony Award-winning Broadway show, Once. But first, here's a scene from near the beginning of Palm Springs. Sarah has just met Niles. Niles is smooth-talking, weirdly overconfident, and also dating another woman named Misty. He tries to woo Sarah into dancing, didn't have any luck, but now they're starting to click. Hey, uh, you don't want to maybe go someplace where we could be alone, do you? Wow, that is very forward of you. <laughs> What's your rush? Well, it's just, you know, your dad and your mom are about... Set mom and mom's dead. Oh, yeah, well, um, they're about to sing a song, and I, I just can't handle that right now. And, uh, what would Misty think about us running off together? I have a feeling she'd be okay with it. <laughs> Kristen Milioti, welcome to Bullseye. Hi. So that is a clip from Palm Springs. We're going we're gonna to talk about Palm Springs in a second. I want to ask you first, I think, the question that has to lead off every quarantine conversation, which is, how is how's your quarantine life? You know what? I'm very uh, lucky. I'm in a, uh, I'm renting a friend's house in L.A. I'm very, like safe and healthy and I'm 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 good. I mean, I'm horrified by the state of the world, but my day to day I'm like in a in a house. Yeah. Quarantine B+, plus, I call that. Oh, I don't even know if I you mean my my particular situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yes. Yeah. Relatively speaking, I'm a, I I say the same thing about myself. You you have a you have a dog, right? I feel like dogs do. are important. Dogs are important, I feel like. Do you have a dog? I do. I yeah. do. He's a he's a brown, skinny, greyhoundy, whippity kind of thing. Yeah, mine's my, mine's like a silent film dog. He's like a scrappy terrier, trash can dog. He's yeah. he's been yeah, very um very grateful for his presence in my life always, but especially this last period of time. Yeah, where'd you get him? I adopted him from a um, a uh, shelter in the East Village. Oh, nice. Nice. And now and now he's out in L.A. being an L.A. dog. Now he's out in L.A. being an L.A. dog, although he's from L.A. originally. So he, for him, it's maybe not that different. Oh, I see. So he's I know. home. 
Please Please come come home. home. Yeah. (laughs) So Palm Springs, for people who are not familiar with it, I'm going to spoil the premise a little bit just so that we can talk about it. It has been out for a while. And if people don't want to have the premise spoiled, you can go ahead and skip ahead a little bit. I would advise to not. (laughs) I would advise skip ahead. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I definitely recommend the film going in not knowing anything because I went in not knowing anything. So Palm Springs is a comedy. You find uh, initially Andy Samberg at a wedding and strange things start to happen. Uh, He meets you. And eventually it turns out that you're in kind of a time loop situation, reliving the same day, day after day at this wedding. It was part of Sundance this year and originally was planned for for theaters first, right? Yes. Yeah. But then came out on Hulu in the summer, I think was very welcome to everyone stuck at home. Yeah, for sure. How did you feel about the fact that it that it kind of took that route rather than the the traditional theatrical first? I mean, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed at first, just because I think something that we got, we were so excited by with that incredible sale at Sundance was the fact that um, like there was a theatrical release with Neon and um, Neon and Hulu were like partnering together. And, you know, it also having seen it with a live audience, it's incredible. I mean, it was like, you know, especially an audience that didn't know anything. There's nothing like that. There's nothing, there's nothing like seeing something up on the big screen and being with a bunch of different people in this sort of like communal experience. Uh, so I was definitely disappointed at first, but then I also was just so grateful to have something to like share with the world. And also I, I wonder sometimes if like, ironically, more people probably saw it in quarantine than we ever could have gotten in a theatrical release because we would have been up against the biggest movies of the summer. (laughs) It would have been like Wonder Woman 2, Black Widow, and then like this film, (laughs) you know, which like, and I, I believe in us and I believe like the people would have found us, but we, you know, we probably wouldn't have gotten as many eyeballs on us um, for sure. And I think mysteriously it also took on this whole different level with, you know, a lot of people at that time feeling like they were repeating the same day over and over. Yeah. So it's been a pleasure to sort of have, uh, to be a part of something that from what I understand is like, you know, bringing people a lot of joy during um, just a relentlessly insane time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to ask you, you know, to me, Palm Springs, when I first watched it, and like I said, I didn't know anything. Yeah. And I got to the end of it. And I thought, that's a pretty deep movie, right? That's a pretty deep. That's a pretty deep movie. I know. What is your sort of take on what makes that a pretty deep movie? Because I have a theory, but I want to hear your theory. I think what makes it a deep movie. Um, I, you know, I thought that when I read it, like when we were we were doing a lot of press about uh, for it over the summer, and everyone kept saying romantic comedy, romantic comedy, romantic comedy, and I I understand that there is a romance in it, but to me, even when I read it, it never struck me as that. It was always an existential comedy. I, th- I think it's about trying to escape yourself and how that's impossible. Um, and that essentially, I think something that we all share as humans is I think we are all under the impression that there is just the one piece missing that's going to finally make everything right. Like if only this job or this house or this person or all these things. And I think that that's, you know, a, a universal feeling. And um I love how this movie explores that in a way, Yeah, you know, of that, like, it doesn't matter the state that you're in, the situation you're in, you're just with yourself. And um, what are you going to choose to do about it? And how are you going to choose to live your life? Um, yeah, I know. I wish I, I wish there were a way to 
like explain that to more people without like I like the trailer is so great but I feel like mm-hmm. the trailer makes it look like it's this zany romantic yeah. comedy which it, there it, there's complete like zaniness and there's a lot of comedy in there but I also urge people to be like it's also about bigger sadder things than that yeah because when I saw it my reaction to it was this is one of the smartest movies I've ever seen about depression particularly oh, you. When, when you find him when you first meet him yes, yes he's in this place of i'm the only person who knows that none of this matters and not, not, nobody understands nobody sees has the full vision that i have yeah. of that everything is meaningless and pointless and so he yeah. can't he can't snap into the experience that everybody else is having because he yeah. feels like he's the only one who knows that none of it matters because it's all just going to be the same day over and right. over again. Yeah. And I thought that's a really good movie about depression, about what depression feels like, I think. I That's music to my ears because that's certainly what I felt when I read it. You know, um, like I've been asked so much doing press, like, you know, like, did you feel like, you know, you're that you are Sarah in life? And it's like, no, I'm a human being that's alive in a complex world. And like, I always thought that it was such a beautiful exploration of depression and shame and uh, regret and all of these things. It's done with a light, you know, there's, there's comedy there for sure. It is funny. Like, it absolutely yeah. it is funny. <laughs> like, it is funny. Yes. I love, I, I, anyway, I, I love that, uh, that you feel that way too. Yeah. I, I do feel like I've seen a couple of performances from you. I think Sarah is, is one, but a couple of these performances where the character that you see in the beginning is a little more sort of like she's a sweet girl or she is a little more that kind of wisecracking, you know, funny heroine at the beginning of Palm Springs. But then it, you know, it, it takes a turn into these things that are a little more sort of grimy and interesting. Well, thank you. And I'm wondering whether you think you started looking for those kinds of turns more or they started to be available more? I think it was both. I definitely started looking for them really specifically and and was like lucky enough to be able to do that. You know, I did a couple of like romantic comedies back to back. And I remember feeling that, uh, I felt like I had done that and I was getting a lot of offers to just do that. And that wasn't like what I uh, set out to do. Totally. It's not, you know, I love romantic comedies, but I, that's not like what I'm necessarily drawn to. Um, And I feel like I started to really look for things um, that were different than that and that were more unexpected. I really like the use, uh, your use of the word grimy. I love that. Um, (laughs) And I really like that. And, uh, yeah, and then they did start to find me. I think as I start to uh, I started to seek them out more, they also uh, it was sort of like a oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It sort of matches up. They're looking for you a little bit more, and you're looking yeah. for them a little more. Do Do you think? I feel like at some point in the career of a lot of actors, they there's a sense that you do a couple things that people like you in, mm-hmm. and then it's very hard to persuade them not to keep asking you to do that thing. It is. In the yeah. same way that, you know, if you write a successful book or you direct a successful movie, particularly commercial studios and places like that will will look for that thing again from you. Mm-hmm. Did you find it difficult to sort of no, I'm not going to keep doing that one thing. I'm going to Did you have to say no to things that were hard to say no to? Yeah, I did. Um I did and I you know, I uh Again, I was lucky enough to be in that position where I was able to, I was able to, you know, 
say no enough that I would go like eight or nine months without working or, you know, and that was very uh, touch and go. But I felt very much like, you know, the stuff that I dreamed of doing as a kid and the stuff that I started off doing in New York, like, you know, like weird off Broadway plays that no one saw, like that I loved, (laughs) like that's the stuff I love. And I'm, you know, grateful for every opportunity I've had, but there was definitely like a real shift of, yeah, that um, I, I think people, you said it very beautifully that I think when something does well or when someone does well in something, they're like, well, great, we'll just repeat that over and over and over again. But I mean, that's, yeah, that's not why I wanted to act in the first place. So yeah. yes, that's been a very conscious, I did have to turn a lot of things down and I was lucky enough to. Um, but yeah. Yeah. What, why did you want to act? How did you get started with that? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I I mean, I, I know that, um, I got started with it, um, originally in middle school because I was, um, bullied very relentlessly at this like new school that I went to. And the only kids who were nice to me were the theater kids. Mm -hmm. And so it started as this sort of like island of broken toys, you know, they were the only ones who would invite me to sit with them. They were the, it was the only place I had to go after school that wasn't just like my house alone in my room. And, um, I started doing plays with them at like local competitions and I just loved it so much. And then I did it in high school too. I did theater in high school and, you know, I just like, there was never like a, like, yes, this is what I'm going to, I just, it just was like, yeah, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to act and I'm going to sing and I'm going to be there, be in New York. Yeah. I have sometimes thought in the past that one of the reasons why, you know, stage managers and other crew of high school productions were invented is so people who can't act can still be in that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, because there are just people who that's the only world they're ever going to be comfortable in. And that's the only kind of tribe they're ever going to be comfortable gravitating to. And it is such a tribe. Like, it it is such a, you know, like, I'm forever grateful to those. I, 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 it breaks my heart, like the state of arts funding in this country. I mean, so much about this country breaks my heart. Um, but, you know, that was how I was able to stay safe. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I would have, I was not a good student. I was not, um, you know, I was going, I was really struggling. And uh, if it hadn't been for the like theater program at my public school, I would have just fell through the cracks probably. And um, I'm forever indebted to that because it did. It made me a part of a tribe. And whether or not I would have done this for a living, um, it always would have been in my life. It Mm -hmm. taps you into like a different part of yourself. We'll wrap up with Kristen Milioti in just a minute. After the break, how does she feel about watching herself perform on screen? Can she handle it? It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at microsoft.com teams. On the next episode of Louder Than a Riot, how a law meant to control the mob changed the mixtape game forever. 
Gangsta Grills is the biggest thing arguably ever in the mixtape's history. Don't tell me that what we're doing is wrong. Listen now to Louder Than a Riot, the podcast from NPR Music. The Beef and Dairy Network is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast here on Maximum Fun, and I would recommend you listen to it. But don't just take it from me. What do the listeners have to say? Would I recommend Beef and Dairy Network podcasts? Um, no, I don't think I would. Right, let me be very clear about this. Under no circumstances would I recommend this to anyone I'd ever met. No, absolutely not. No, I couldn't. I feel quite sick thinking about the things I'd heard. Please stop calling me. Please leave me alone. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, available at MaximumFun.org and at all good and some bad podcast platforms. Literally, just leave me alone. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guest is Kristen Milioti. She's an actor. You might have seen her in How I Met Your Mother, Black Mirror, and the new movie Palm Springs, which is out now. She's being interviewed for our show by Linda Holmes, the wonderful host of NPR's wonderful Pop Culture Happy Hour. So you did take at one time, and we're skipping around a little bit here, uh, you did take at one time what might have been considered an impossible job, which was uh, on How I Met Your Mother, which yeah. was made you, I think, the subject of sort of one of the most, one of the biggest, like, casting announcements that right. sitcom probably ever churned out. You played that part in the the ninth and final season. What What is it like coming into a show like that that's had a stable ensemble for eight years and coming in sort of when it's established and when they're starting to wind down? Well, you know, I, I, thankfully, blissfully, I, I had never seen the show when I signed on for it. Um, it was like this very, it was like a very mysterious process where I like wasn't really told what was happening. And it was like a, you know, like a stack of NDAs. And I like, Mm -hmm. because I didn't know about, I knew of the show, but because I didn't know like the gravity of that reveal. um, Right, right. I sort of was like, oh, this is to be, this is, this will help me pay my student loans off. Like, this is great. I'm like up for a job with like a bunch of nice people where I'm like in nine episodes, this is cool. And then as it dawned on me that uh, what it was, um, you know, it definitely changed a bit, but it was wild. I mean, you know, to walk into such a well-oiled machine too, you know, like I don't, I don't mean that in a, like that was a machine at all. It was like this beautiful group of people that really cared about each other and had been together for like 10 years. But they also were like, you know, it was, they like knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what that show was. Um, everyone was so kind and welcoming to me. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, it was wild. It was also strange too. Cause you know, I'm, I'm not in it that much. Right. Like I'm, so my memories of it are like, I was on set like one day every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone could not have been sweeter to me. But it is, uh, it is wild that that was like such a big reveal, right? Right. And in, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, I think that that when I rewatch that show, I don't watch that season, and it has nothing to do with you. Yeah, sure. It's just the, it's just the final season is not the one that I key into the most. You're not the first to say it. I've heard other people have told me this. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm, <laughs> I was gonna say, I suspect this is not something that you've never heard before. It's, I know, yeah. That they that you you became involved in what turned into a very sort of you know much discussed and much yes. talked about um, direction for the hotly for debated the, yes. hotly debated hotly debated got to yeah. got to drop into the least fun part of any show which is yeah. people arguing about the last season right so when you 
were finished doing doing that. And that was obviously, as you said, you did a, several episodes. That's a kind of a sitcom experience. It gives you a, a look at what a what a kind of a, a high functioning network comedy how it works. What did you take away from that in terms of this I liked about it, this I didn't like about it in terms of steering your own career at that point? Well, um, I did another network comedy right after that. Um, They were sort of back to back. But I remember feeling like I loved everyone I worked with so much, but I felt very limited by what networks would allow um, one to do. Like I remember you know, just sort of feeling like I I wanted to be, you know, I grew up watching 30 Rock. I grew up wanting, like, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be like a mess. I wanted to have jokes. I wanted to, and a a lot of times I felt a bit um, just put into a pencil skirt. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that Simpsons episode where Marge Simpson gets shot with a makeup gun. And she's yes. like, you had it set to whore, <laughs> that one. <laughs> like, I felt like, you know, I was like coming in every day and getting blasted, like airbrushed into oblivion mm-hmm. and put in a tight pencil skirt. And that's nothing on the, you know, the people I worked with were fantastic. I'm still friends with them. But I felt very limited and I felt like I was being put in a box. Yeah. Um, that I, you know, uh, wasn't allowed to really show. I remember... Um, a couple times I would do scenes and there'd be, you know, there, in, in these things, there's always a lot of people at making decisions and a whole group would come over and be like, well, you know, remember she's sad, but she's also like someone you want to have fun with. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm your gal, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I, I sort of after that, um, but that's the, also the, 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 or it was at the time, just sort of how the networks worked because you're essentially, you're working for a giant corporation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that Shinehart wig company stuff is absolutely, real. Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely real. <laughs> and like, you know, um, I think, and obviously there are so many examples of people getting through that. Like 30 Rock is a perfect example. Parks and Rec, um, The Office. I mean, there's countless, Seinfeld. Like there's countless examples of that, not, of people, you know, finding their own way in that system. But I felt like I couldn't necessarily find mine. And so then I, took a real big pivot and um, I did Fargo next. And I remember mm-hmm. that that felt um, like, I remember being like, yes, this is, this is what I want. Ambiguous aliens, a lot of bloodshed. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I love this. A lot yeah. of like, you know, uh, sort of subtext. And um, I remember they painted bags under my eyes and I was like, oh, I'm in the right place. This is great. <laughs> do you think that the do you think that the difficulty getting kind of what you wanted out of acting on on network shows was exclusively that they didn't want that kind of thing at all or do you think it was a matter of what they thought they wanted from you because you were sort of in that kind of sweetheart wasteland that kind right. of exists where there's a Yeah. Do you know what I'm I, talking about? I, yeah, I do. I I would imagine that it's both. That, like, I don't think, you know, I think that uh, something that I'm, like, very interested in as an a- as, uh, in as an actor is, like, exploring pain and the, the sort of, like, gray parts of someone, how someone can be a complete dichotomy, how you can feel one thing and act a completely different way. And um, even though, like, I'm a huge fan of network sitcoms, like, I, you know... I rewatched 30 Rock in lockdown. I love The Good Place. Like, you know, um, 
But again, those are examples where I think they explore more of like human vulnerability stuff. Right. And, right. Um, you know, How I Met Your Mother did that too. Like they were able to exist in their own realm. I don't oh, think sure. it's, I don't think it's the norm. Uh, yeah. And I think that, uh, yeah. And, and maybe too, it was because they, you know, sort of to, to what, to your point earlier, they'd seen me do something and they were like, yeah, more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, that was like a specific role. And that was like one thing that I can do. And I also have like these 800 things that I want to explore. And um, yeah. Do you think that the do you think the expansion of sort of streaming services, you also were in Modern Love on Amazon, do you think the the sort of expansion of places like that is going to make those kinds of roles that are interesting more plentiful? Or do, do you see it? Is that changing anything? Um, I think so in a way. I mean, I'm also in my 30s now and the roles have just gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think that I remember auditioning for things at like t- 25, 26 and a lot of it is like, oh my God, how am I going to be a DJ? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that, but <laughs> it's like a different set of now, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. Now it's very much like, what have I done with my entire life? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I you should I, do that movie, by the way, where you want to be the DJ. <laughs> I, be I, DJ? I would watch that. Yeah, oh, okay. am I going to be a DJ? Yeah, I live in this big fancy apartment, oh, and I have bad dates, and like, bull. Um, <laughs> but you know, has has streaming expanded those things? Uh, yes. Oh, I think yes for sure. Um, it has, and I think also people's tastes uh, have also, you know, expanded more as well. But I do feel like, I mean, this is such a like, you know. At this point, uh, like the golden age of television idea mm-hmm. is is really true because yeah. people are able to take more risks. You're able to sit with a character longer. So you're also sort of able to be like, oh, well, what if this happened? I mean, that was something I loved so much about um, that season of Fargo that I did was that like there's a whole plot with aliens that they just never resolve. And it's awesome that they never resolve it. Yeah, they sure don't. They sure don't. <laughs> but like, and, but, and the whole time you're sort of like, I, I mean, I guess I'm okay. right. Like, we just mm-hmm. don't know. And it's yep. and it doesn't like take away from it. It it's like adds this like beautiful weird color to it, which is, I imagine maybe what it would be like to have a brush with aliens. Like where you're just like, did that happen? Is that real? I don't know. Like stuff like that. Like this creative license. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly though, it also feels sometimes like with all these streaming giants, we've gotten back into an, a version of like the old network model of just like, oh well, there's like the big seven. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about about Broadway. You were nominated for a Tony Award for the stage adaptation of of Once, which is a wonderful movie that many of us love very much. Yep. Tell me a little bit about how, uh, because you had done a little bit of TV, right? Yeah. Before that. Yeah. Then you did, and you had certainly done other stage stuff, but did a little bit of TV and then went and did that. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to sort of get involved in a long stage kind of commitment when you were also kind of, you know, had been working on television and other stuff? Sure. I mean, the answer is I had no choice. I signed a very strict contract (laughs) that was like, you're in this for a year. Um, Also, it was like a pleasure. And and also right now I'm thinking about something I just said minutes ago where, you know, I was sort of saying that roles in your 20s are a lot of like, how do I be a DJ in this fancy apartment? Um, But that was such an exception to that role, to the Mm -hmm. rule, because that role that's also why that show 
you know, changed my life in so many ways. And I mean, beyond actually like what it did for like the career side of things. Like, you know, I played a character that like, you want to talk about ambiguous. Mm -hmm. There's a really ambiguity there. And there's a lot of joy there. And there's a lot of pain. There's like a lot of, she was very human. um, Even when you didn't think she may be at first, you know, like she has such a sort of joyful um, presentation and wall up. And then as you get to spend more time with her, you begin to see like what's actually roiling down there without ever like really getting to like exactly what has happened or exactly what is happening. And I mean, that show just, it was such a, even when we were doing 11 show weeks on the holidays and I was crawling out of that theater, um, it was always like just such an honor to do. That was one of the most deeply special experiences of my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. So when you are doing, this is just sort of a fun question for my own curiosity. When you are doing a show like that, that is really busy and doing well, from sort of the time that you leave your apartment to go to the theater and the time you get back to your apartment after you perform, what is your favorite part of that sort of span of time? Is it beginning of the show, end of the show, getting a break? Oh my God, it depended on like when in the run it was. I lived like a monk during that whole process because I'd never done a musical before and I'd never done a a run that long. And um, so I would get to the theater really, really early and spend like a lot of time warming up and playing through the songs on piano. And I mean, you know, there were things that cast, we, we spent so much time together and we also were a band together. Mm-hmm. You know, we we could I could sense people's energies from 20 feet away and um, we breathed together as like a company and as a band. And some of my favorite parts during that whole run was just being on stage with those that group of people. And like, I don't know, either we'd like something weird in the audience would happen or like an instrument would break and like us coming together as a group you know, laughing at something, um, getting really emotional when certain cast members would leave. Like it was just, uh, I think those were the moments actually more than like an actual moment in the show. Mm-hmm. Although I did always love um, the song When Your Mind's Made Up. Mm-hmm. That was a scene in the show that I always looked forward to every night because it's like they're one shot. And every night, almost without fail, we would get through that number and there would be silence in the theater and in the play, they're, um, it's silent because they're recording. And then the, the audio engineer would like click stop and people would go. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. People would go insane. Mm-hmm. And it was like they had been rooting for this like little band the entire show. And that was always one of my favorite moments every night for all 13 months. Mm-hmm. That, sorry, one more. And gold. Absolutely. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. gold is, gold is, in the I movie, would, gold is oh, one of my favorites in the oh, movie. It's and I think it's under, movie. and I think it's under, it was underappreciated in the movie when the movie came out. I yeah. Felt. Oh, it's, that song is unbelievable. And to the, you know, that, uh, my, what I did during that scene was that I, I walked through the entire company. And then as people started slow dancing with their instruments, we would all like look at each other. And it was just every night it was it was magic, yeah. you know, even on nights where like you really are wondering how you're going to get it up for two and a half hours. Basically, mm-hmm. like, you know, I would walk through that scene and it would just be it was beautiful. Yeah. Do you um do you want to do that again? A big show like that again? Oh, my God. Yes. I, I, I don't know if I could handle a run like that again. 
that that's pretty really it's separates. Gr- it's grueling. Right? It's grueling. It's grueling, and it really separates the men from the boys. I got to tell you, like when I'm on film sets and people are like, "Oh my god, these hours!" I want to be like, "Try doing this scene and just this scene." for 13 months (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like no snack breaks no like sitting down like you just once like the curtain is up it's just you and it's exhilarating and it's incredible but it is grueling yeah you have no you have no life you don't see anyone yeah well it's always it's always interesting because when shows do reach a point where people are kind of paying attention to who's in them obviously most most um recently with Hamilton people when people leave the cast there's often a feeling of like oh the person is leaving and it's like yeah. they've been doing this for so long same thing <laughs> I know many times a week many times for a, week. a year yeah there's only so many times there's only so many times I would think that you can do the same thing you know, I, I left that show at just the, at the perfect time. Me and two other cast members were the first to leave, um, like I, after our contracts were up. And at that point, I'd been doing it for 13 months uptown, three months downtown and a month out of town. And so I think when all was said and done, I'd, I'd performed it over 500 times. Mm-hmm. And I left it the most perfect time where like, I mean, I bawled like a baby. I, I couldn't, I could barely get through those last couple shows, but I left missing it right and being like what an incredible time and holy how lucky am I as opposed to being like get me out of here I'm exhausted (laughs) like you know I was exhausted but like it was it was joyful yeah well you don't want to I suppose you probably don't want to get to the point where you're not sort of not paying attention to it do you know what I mean you're not sort of sure it doesn't feel like a an alive experience well and also I always felt such pressure because you know Broadway is so expensive, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, and I would be like, these people have paid hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. to go on a, to have an experience tonight and to be like taken on an emotional journey. And like, you have to, you can't phone it in. Right. You you just can't. When I, when I have been at Broadway productions, it, it struck me. I remember sitting in, in the audience of one and thinking it, it is so expensive to be here, but at the same time you realize how many people are working that night and how many people are working in that show and you are the only ones for whom that thing is. Yeah, And yeah. it's like, on the one hand, it's like, it's a lot of money. But on the other hand, what do you expect? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a finite group of you and it's a That's lot true. of people yeah. putting on a large performance just for the people that you can see yeah. from where you're sitting, unlike, yeah. you know, making television or making a film or something. Yeah, like that. it's just for you. I love that. Yeah, that's very true. So it's it kind of, yeah. I mean, that's also one of the things I miss the most about theater, obviously, or any live performance music too. Um, you know, there's nothing like sharing a bunch of molecules with people in a dark space for two hours and going on a journey together. I mean, some of the other, some of my favorite moments of doing once for that year or and some odd change was that there were moments where I would be in the character, you know, so bereft that this relationship was coming to an end and the audience would be crying. And it really felt like osmosis or communion or something that like we were all thinking of people that we'd lost or people that we, you know, I don't know, you could just, I don't know how to say it without sounding like woo woo, but you could, you could like feel everyone thinking of all the things that had brought them to this moment. And it's to this date, like some of the most beautiful moments I've had of being with a group of people, just all our phones off, our attention in the same place, 
thinking about what it means to love and to lose and to be alive in this world and to let go of people and to let new people in. And it was wild. And every one of those performances, this is the other thing I always love about it when I go, is that every one of those performances is a separate thing. So you can't can't have anyone else's experience of going to that show. You can only have your experience of seeing it. So even when people say, oh, yeah, I saw that show, they saw a different thing than you saw. They saw a different thing. Because, you know. And it's also, I mean, I love getting into like the, you know, it depends on what happened to you that day, like the New York of it all. Like what happened to you on the subway when you got there? Or like, who were you on the phone with in the in the cab? Um, but it's amazing to be transported as a group. And I would be transported just as much as I hoped the audience would be too. Like it really was communal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that you were rewatching 30 Rock. Um, you are in an episode of 30 Rock. Yep. As you know. Yeah. <laughs> are you the kind of person, do you watch your episode? Can you watch it as an episode of 30 Rock? Are you the kind of person who will watch your own stuff or do you not want to watch your own stuff? Would you skip that? I skipped it. In fact, I remember the night it happened. It was early on in, <laughs> in the pandemic and I was watching that season. And then, it, you know, when it asks you, like, are you still watching? And it was like, next up, TGS hates women. And I was like, nope, skip it. I don't think I've seen... That episode, I I will, I I do a combo. Like, I remember when that episode aired, I watched it with some friends that night. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was in real time. This was before, (laughs) like, you could just say that you wanted to watch it. (laughs) You had to show up to a place at the right time. Um, But we, like, all watched it at a friend's house in Bushwick. Um, And I think that was the last time I saw it. Um, You know, I don't like to watch myself because usually all I can think about is what I've done wrong. And I, I'll definitely watch things like, um, you know, I, I I watched the premiere of Palm Springs at Sundance and I'm like so glad I did because like who knew that that was going to be the last time I was in a movie right. theater with people. Right. Um, but, you know, I certainly watched a lot of it through my fingers being like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why did you say it like that? Oh, that was you. You 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 messed up. Um, but then there's other things, you know. I've I've watched most of what I've done. And then there's been some stuff where I've sort of left and been like, I don't think I need to see that. I don't need to do that to myself. Mm-hmm. I think it'll just be out there and that's fine. <laughs> don't have <laughs> yeah. to relive. Don't have I to gotta, relive, every relive it. Yeah. Nope, don't have yeah. to. But I do try to avoid it when I can. Well, Krista Miliati, thank you so much for being here on Bullseye. This was a delight. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Truly. Kristen Miliati, interviewed by Linda Holmes. If you haven't seen Palm Springs, you're in for a treat. It is a delight. Just a really enjoyable film. Linda Holmes, like we said before, is the host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. And guess what? Pop Culture Happy Hour is now daily. It is a wonderful show, a lot of really fun and smart conversations about popular culture on that program. Give it a listen on npr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where another round of refrigerator semi-failure has led me to question my role in the domestic drama that is life in the Thorn Home. I'm thinking about whether to get a a French door style or a side-by-side style refrigerator neither of them will fit in the hole in my cabinets where a refrigerator goes though we might put the portable dishwasher there also apparently you can't buy refrigerators right now i don't know 
Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien and Kristen Bennett. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by the band The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label, Memphis Industries, for sharing it. Great band, great music. Go go get some. If you want to hear the latest about what we're up to, you can keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post our interviews there. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.